goosebumps, cashing a slip makes you grin, and above all, you love making your bookie cry, then you're in the right place. The number one spot for premier betting advice and wild opinions, shared with a fan base like no other. Welcome home. This is the Punch List MMA Podcast. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? As always, it's your boy Dale Lippin in here. I got guests galore tonight. Uh, There's no way around it. Kicking things off, as always. Um, You guys know him well, the host of the Give Me the Points podcast, my actual blood brother in crime, and the former co-host of the now-defunct Fistful of Cash podcast, none other than Soup himself. Soup, what's going on, buddy? Nothing much, man. Uh, I'm excited to be on here. This is now two weeks in a row, three out of the last four. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's good to be back. It's good to be back cutting it up with you. Uh, and I'm excited for what we have in store tonight. I'm excited to see what our guest brings to the table and some insight that he has with us. Yeah, for sure. So let's get after it. So I've got, uh, I mean, we kind of really made some some things happen here. Um, you guys asked for more guests, and we're going to do exactly that. I've got Rob Pozzola sitting in here tonight. And if you guys are not familiar with Rob, um, as far as screen times go, outside of Anik, he's probably the most distinguished guest that we have on. Uh, he's got the little blue check on Twitter. He's been on a million different shows, a, a regular on Canadian TV. We won't hold that against him. He's a good guy all the same. Um, founder of BetStamp, founder of the Hammer Betting Network. Uh, the guy's got his fingers in about 150 different pies, and he took time out of his busy schedule to sit down and chop it up with us, go over betting strategies, things to look for, all kinds of stuff. And we're going to go over the business side of things. None other. I'll shut up so he can talk. Rob Bazola. Thanks, Rob, for coming on, man. Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm actually really excited to do this. Yeah, it's 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 anytime that we get a chance to sit down and just kind of talk and chop it up with people is always a good time. But then we are, you know, we got an off week from the UFC and you're, you, you know, you're an old school uh, MMA fan and uh, those of you who are unaware, Anik and his brother have a show on your network. And not to mention, you know, we're, we're into the NFL, which I know a lot of the people that listen to our show aren't big NFL people, but degenerate gamblers, it doesn't matter. And that's where we fall. So uh, we just want to go ahead and get after it. I don't want to bury the lead too much. Rob, if you wouldn't mind, can you just kind of tell us how you got involved in this space and, and, and what you're working on currently? Yeah, so uh, I actually have a media background uh, straight out of college. I was a radio producer up in Canada, eventually became an on-air host. That's how I, I developed my following uh, and that blue check mark that you speak of on Twitter. Um, at that time, I was betting on sports and I was doing it very poorly for a very long time. Um, started in high school, through college, through my early work uh, experience, just constantly losing money. And eventually I just realized, reached a point where I'm like, why am I doing to this, this to myself? I used to actually enjoy betting. Now I don't enjoy doing it anymore. I want to buy a house, can't put a mortgage payment down and so on and so forth. So I stopped betting for a while uh, and I've always been a numbers driven guy. So I kind of turned it into a hobby more than actually betting. And I just started to develop different models for different sports and started mm. to test things out. Uh, And it actually took me several years before realizing that I actually had anything of value. Um, At that time, I was betting on a lot of baseball, which I don't do now. But I would post my numbers or or my win probabilities to my Twitter account every day and developed even more of a following because people started to bet them. And then eventually I started to get other professional bettors reaching out to me saying, hey, 
why are you posting this publicly? Like, this is really good. People are betting it. Why don't you come <laughs> work with us? Uh, and at that time, I was put on what was called a free roll deal where I had no risk on my end. I would provide plays to a sharper betting group. If they lost, I didn't lose anything. If they won, I got a percentage of the bet, which was a great deal for me at the time. So I did that for a few years, eventually built my bankroll to be pretty high and, and where I can go out and do this on my own. So now I work with a partner um, who, who lives in the US and we tackle different sports, predominantly football and hockey, um, but a little bit of everything. Uh, and I've been able to turn that into a career. Eventually the sports betting does get stale for me. I'll be honest, you know, a lot of people, it, it would be a dream for them to bet on sports for a living. For me, it's a grind. Um, I don't really enjoy it all that much. The money is good, but that has led me to venture out into these side projects. One being BetStamp, which is a, a product that I firmly believe in. And one being The Hammer, which is a content network where I can go back to what I was very passionate about in my youth, which was producing good content. That's awesome. So when you when you say creating models, I mean, we're talking like, I mean, just prediction models then? Or are you just sitting there just inputting? I mean, you just go pouring over stat sheets and inputting data and then, you know, rerunning the models over and over again. What does that look like? Right. So when I, when I was in college, I was actually studying statistics. Um, okay. I, I ended up in media just by by pure luck because I was interning at a radio station and they eventually just were short staffed and decided to hire me full time. So I never graduated college because I started in the media space full time, but I have a statistics background. So it, it just became natural for me to say to, to ask myself, what, how can I just not how can I apply math to sports? Right. Mm -hmm. This is what I, I've done in other fields. Uh, I've built out all sorts of models to predict all sorts of other things. Why can't I do this for sports? So that starts with collecting as much data as possible and then figuring out how you're going to apply it to that sport. And without getting overly technical, you know, at that time I was building out what are called linear regression models. Uh, I don't do that anymore. I, I've kind of evolved my craft, but that's where it all started for me. And, and frankly, if, if we do go back to that time, which was about eight years ago now, it was a lot easier to beat sports now than it is nowadays. Now I've really had to evolve my craft. A lot of what I do is very much news driven. So having to be available almost 24 seven, because if a piece of news comes down in the NFL, you pretty much got 20 seconds to bet it before the entire market is going to move. Um, so it's a lot more competitive nowadays with the amount of attention that's been drawn to the betting space. I got you. I got you. So w with that being said, I mean, I don't want to deep dive right into conspiracies, conspiracies right off the rip, but I mean, it, it, do you think that the NFL is, you know, exactly that? I mean, you think it's like a free market or do you think there is some predetermination in some of the games? Because there is quite a, large contingency of people that think that the NFL has got a little bit of, uh, you know, a predictability problem as far as storylines go. Do you see that as far as when you look at the numbers? I personally do not believe that there's any fixing going on in any of the team sports, especially mm -hmm. the NFL. So at the NFL level, it would be so incredibly difficult to fix a game unless you were able to get to the quarterback of one of the teams, because most of the other positions don't really have that much of an impact on a game. Um, even if you were to pay like a linebacker or something and say, hey, man, miss some tackles, it's not going to have that much of a, a, an impact on the game. And these quarterbacks are making so much money that it would be absolutely insane. There, there, would, there would be no amount of money that someone would be able to get down to be able to offset paying that quarterback. So I don't really think it happens in team sports. Um, and also there's just there's so much sophistication in the betting markets nowadays with who's betting what, where they're betting it. With all the regulation that's happening across the U.S., 
Um, it's becoming very much like the UK in that it's very easy to track where the money is coming from. If anything weird was going on, there would just be red flags all over the place nowadays. So uh, I don't believe it's happening. I mean, at, at individual sports, there could be an argument. I still don't believe it's happening in individual sports, but it would obviously be a lot easier to orchestrate something um, to that effect if it's a tennis match, an MMA fight, um, so on and so forth. Gotcha. So question in the chat, what about refs? <laughs> yep. There's there's some calls in particular. I think we're all, you know, when you think about that, there's some stuff that pops up, you know, in your head that goes, oh, man, that was, it almost seems deliberately missed. I can think of a uh, should have been pass interference call from a couple, a couple years ago. Of course. I mean, uh, I watch tons of sports. I'm always on the refs. The reality is I actually used to ref sports. Now, this is not like major leagues or anything. It's a tough job in real yeah. time um, when yes. you're on the field yeah. to be able to call things in real time. So refereeing is inherently difficult. Uh, we have the luxury of watching all these replays and saying, oh, this should have been called. This shouldn't have been called. They don't have that luxury on the field. With that said, you know, it, 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 it just like it kind of balances out over time, right? Like a lot of people always like, oh, I lost this bet because of the refs. There's probably another bet that you won because of the refs at some point or another. And you just completely <laughs> yeah. forgot about that. Um, yeah. The big one for me is, is like you got obviously this is a, a fight show here, but um, a lot of people get on the UFC judging, right? Have, have you ever sat cage side at a UFC event? I have before. It's very right. different than when you're watching yes. on TV, right? You'll, you will, if you score a fight right next to the cage without the luxury of watching every replay angle and so on and so forth, you're going to get vast, you know, wildly different results. So um, you, you see this in all sports all the time. The reality is this is very difficult and there's so many things that, that factor into it, but um, I, I don't think there's any, any, you know, since the Tim Donahue scandal, I think there's yeah. been a, a, a huge fixation on making sure that this doesn't happen in other pro sports. Gotcha. So, Soup, we're two weeks into the NFL now. Yeah. Um, what What's something that, you know, I know, <laughs> I mean, outside of myself, I don't know a lot of people who place more bets than you. So we're we're two weeks in the NFL. What's your takeaway two weeks in of how this season's shaping up to be? What are some trends that you see already starting this year that maybe perhaps people need to take, you know, consideration of moving into week three? Uh, I think it's a little too early to tell on trends um i know week one um obviously the public loves to bet favorites in the over that's the favorite bet for public um but from what i could tell unders were a good bet week one and this week dogs again week two dog i mean uh rob's got the dallas uh little picture there cincinnati was i, I believe the most bet team this week as far as money line and spread goes and wouldn't you know, Cooper Rush comes out and the Dallas defensive line that, that people don't look at the battle in the trenches. People say, oh, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T Higgins against Cooper Rush. But the battle in the trenches matter. Um, I, as of right now, man, underdogs are covering and that, that seems to be the right bet. Um, I don't know if you've ever followed um, SVP, Scott Van Pelt. Yeah, um, come on, man! I got a Terps thing right here. What are you talking listen, about? Listen. That's my dude. What are you talking like, about? Come in, football, Scott Van Pelt. I don't think has ever bet a favorite to cover. Yeah. Scott Van Pelt's a firm believer in taking underdogs, and underdogs is proving true right now through the first two weeks of the NFL season. Um, obviously, you know you have your variables, and that could change. You know, we might have a week where thirteen out of the sixteen favorites cover, but 
as of right now, underdogs is the bet. Um, and you're getting huge lines. I mean, you got Houston at plus 10 last week, and that was an easy cover against Denver, an offense that can't get anything going. Nathaniel Hackett seems to be in over his head as far as play calling goes. Uh, he's struggling tremendously. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's I'd give it a couple weeks before we can say that there's a trend, but as of right now, um, looking ahead, there's some underdogs um, this week that I even like that I think are getting way too many points. How do you feel about that, Rob? Yeah, I think uh, he, he hit on a lot of good points there. Uh, we've seen this kind of over the last couple of years now where um, home field advantage is diminishing in the NFL mm -hmm. and people have kind of been slow to realize it. So you get a lot of underdogs that are, are covering nowadays. Scoring has been way down so far this year. I don't have a good reasoning for it. And I've kind of been looking into it because typically in the past, whenever scoring would go down, it was usually a product of uh, referees being urged to call something a little bit harder. Um, offensive holding a few years ago, for example. But I think what teams are doing now, uh, especially a lot of these defenses, is just trying to take away the big play. Basically, yeah. everybody's playing um, like the way that defenses played against the Kansas City Chiefs last year. Give them everything underneath. Make them work their way up and down the field, but let's not give up a big play. And because of that, you're seeing longer drives, more methodical drives, less big plays. I don't know if that's going to continue going forward. Soup's right. I mean, it's it's two weeks in the season. We have a sample size of 32 games. It's not going to really tell us anything. There's just so much randomness in a 32-game sample. But uh, I definitely think that um, home, home field advantage diminishing year after year after year. Um, it used to be like home dogs were a thing that a lot of people like, but now even road dogs, because like I said, that home field advantage is, is smaller. Uh, and it'll be interesting to keep an eye on these totals going forwards because the market is not adjusting a whole lot this week. It's not like we've seen all these totals come down to lower levels this week. They're still in the same range. So people are, I guess, thinking that this is just going to balance out over time. So that being said, I mean, so you've identified, both of you identified a few things. Is there anything that you had your eye on going into the season that you were maybe looking to exploit, you know, whether it be a, a futures bet or player props that you had your eyes on, anything like that, that, you know, you, you think might, there might still be, I guess, um, a viable market for, I mean, I, I saw a thing today where Tua jumped over like eight different people in potential MVP uh, odds. I think he went to like 18 to one or something like that, surpassed Brady and a few other folks even. So is there something that you saw preseason uh, that now looks like a great bet or something that you had identified prior to that you want to see continue? Anything like that? Yeah. So for me, this is a, it's a very week to week league, right? right. And the vast majority of people who bet on the NFL, they, they just remember what they saw last week. That, that's the reality of the situation, right? Kirk Cousins stunk in prime time again. <laughs> Everyone's going to like the Lions against Minnesota this week. Like it, it's a very week to week league. So for me, when I'm attacking the NFL and I'm at looking at it, especially in the futures market on a weekly basis, I'm usually going to be looking at teams that didn't perform well last week because they tend to have value the following week. Because again, people just in their heads subjectively cannot they cannot think about what happened two or three weeks ago it's always what have you done for me lately so that's sort of my motto when i'm approaching in-season futures um whether that's the mvp market or you know teams to make the playoffs whatever um typically it's almost like it's it's cheesy to say but it's exactly like you would treat the stock market right buy low sell high same principles apply in, in sports betting Gotcha. So utilizing those principles, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that, that up. 
are what are some set rules that you have when you look at either a market or a slate of games or something like that? Like I have, at least as far as betting fights go, I have like a distinct, you know, no go zone as far as certain certain things go. So superstitions aside, is there something that you look at given a particular slate of games where you're trying to find spots to exploit for money? So personally, I'm not a, a trends based better. So a lot of people will use historical trends to predict what's going to happen in the future. And I don't really think that that's all that predictive because mm. a lot of the trends that are used, especially in the NFL, again, the NFL is very different because we deal with tons of small samples. This is not the NBA where they're playing every night and you got tons of samples to deal with. So people will often say things like, oh, I want to bet this team is an underdog because they're 15 and two against the spread in their last 17 as an underdog. And some of these games date back to 1997 like that you know that's not it's not useful in predicting what's happening now so people get very fixated on these things and and you can you can basically make up any trend that would support your argument in the nfl Mm. whether you know it's a large sample small sample whatever so i don't really get fixated on that because of that i don't i don't create my own rules for the nfl because the league is constantly evolving as well right Like if you're like, I only want to bet, you know, I'm never going to bet a road favorite. Well, there's going to get to a point where everybody is going to see value in the home underdogs. And then there's going to be value in the road favorite. Mm -hmm. So once you start applying these, um, you you know, you kind of, you kind of pigeonhole yourself in a sense where you don't see the full picture. So for me, everything is reactionary. um, And it's, and it's more so like, I'm a, I'm a big advocate, especially in betting the NFL, to not create these set rules for yourself because it oftentimes just leaves you looking and it gives you like that tunnel vision where you're unable to see the the other side of the argument, essentially. Soup, is there anything in particular that you, you know, uh, any hard set that you follow? No, not really. Um, I do agree with the the whole trend sentiment that he said. Like, I know during, I, I bet a lot of college basketball. <clears throat> and during the college basketball season, I love seeing guys you know, post out and it'll be, you know, it'll be Grand Canyon versus Arizona. And they'll be like, oh, Arizona's 37 and one against the spread against teams under 500 on Tuesdays in games before three o'clock. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that, that's completely irrelevant. That has nothing to do with anything here. Um, I do. I, I laugh at those when I see them. As far as the NFL goes, I think I'd have to agree with Rob. I don't have a set of rules um, that I follow. Like I don't have like a no bet team. I don't have a team that I'm like, I'm never betting on them again. There's certain teams that really frustrate me, AKA Atlanta. Um, (laughs) They've just year in and year out, they've burnt me on either side, no matter what I bet on them. Um, But if I see value in them or I see value against them, I'm still going to make that play because like you said, once you, once you set that precedent and once you say, I'm not betting this team, you're eliminating a, a, an avenue for potentially making money or winning a bet. Um, so I, I, you have to follow the value and like the, the Falcons this week, I had, I had the Rams in a five and a half point teaser. I had a minus five and a half, or I had them in a five point teaser, had a minus five and a half and they took that safety at the end. And yep. it was just like, it, it hurt the inside. But I was <laughs> like, you know what? It is what it is. The, the Rams shouldn't have blown a 28 to three lead. Yeah, um, blocked like, punt, like everything that oh could God. possibly go against you at, at at the end of that game there. But yeah, I mean, you, you it's it's a great point you make, Soup. Like for, for me, a, a lot of people say, 
you'll hear this a lot, um, you know, bet numbers, not teams. And there is something to being able to bet either side of a game. Like going, you know, a lot of people will tell themselves, they'll watch a football game and they'll say, that was a great trend, by the way, yeah. on the screen. <laughs> but those are the ones I'm talking about, right? Specifically right. that people use yeah. to, to back their argument that don't make sense. But in the NFL, you know, people will be watching a game and they'll say, I can't wait to bet against this team next week, week mm. right? But but they're not accounting for what this point spread is going to be in the next week. Right. Because there's so many people that are watching that same game and they also can't wait to bet against that team next week. But the number of the game actually matters, right? So for me, one of the most important things I preach when betting the NFL is try to set the point spread of the game yourself before you actually look at what the book is offering you. Because a lot of times you'll say, oh, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to bet on this team. I can't wait to bet against them. Then you'll set a number and you'll be like, oh, I actually have value on them next week. Like I was looking to fade them, but the market has moved too far. So I, I think it's not only NFL. It's really every sport, right? People lose the value, of, it's the concept of value, and they get fixated on, I think this is going to happen. And they, in their heads, they make it a 100% probability that it's going to happen rather than, than the, there's a wide range of outcomes. And it's hard to, to get into that mindset, but that was really what changed things for me as a better. The, the mm. Understanding the concept of value and making my own numbers before I would actually go out and bet. Because once you already have the team in mind, the fighter in mind that you want to bet, the yep. whole the concept of value then goes out the window. So that I think that's just one of the biggest uh, pieces of advice I can preach to people. As to, to bring this back to fighting real quick, what I will say that that is that is something I'm guilty of in my in my own thinking is I will watch a guy fight or watch a a lady fight, and I will say to myself sometimes, I cannot wait to fade them the next time they're out because I. Either something I saw in the performance that, you know, maybe did or didn't didn't go well for them. I think given the right matchup, will this person be able to exploit, you know, this coming forward? And then it doesn't matter who it is that they get matched up again. I start running that scenario in my head. Is this person's wrestling good enough to exploit that weakness that I saw? Is this person striking good enough? And, you know, I, I'm anybody that's that's listened to me talk for a period of time hell soup we did it last week you said you just talked yourself into that bet like i'll literally sit there and i'll spin myself into it and uh one of the one of the things i've been trying to do better at this year um is putting myself in a position where i'm playing what's the most likely outcome as opposed to what could happen right like this person could come out here and do this thing that they're capable of, but is it the most likely thing to happen? And when I'm following the trends of most likely to happen, uh, I'm, I'm increasingly more accurate as opposed to going after, you know, the anomalous event. So um, that said, because you've been, you know, gathering data for so long and, th and that's primarily what we're using to create these things. Is there, is there a team, is there a sport that you, you continually run into the code breakers, right? Like the matrix violators, the people like the Atlanta Falcons, it doesn't matter how good they are. They continue to screw shit up. Like, is there, have you historically speaking come across those teams or well, players? For sure. I, I mean, I can talk specifically about MMA here because I did bet MMA for a long time and I did it right. successfully. Now, one of the inherent challenges with MMA is you have such a small data sample on every fighter. 
you have sometimes fighters who fight once every year, once every two years. So it's very difficult to just put all this data into some sort of model and run it. What I used to do was what was called clustering. So I would put fighters into buckets, right? This guy's a pure wrestler. This guy's a pure wrestler, but he can also strike. This guy's a pure, you know, and I had, I had about a dozen buckets and then I would compare one bucket to another historically and say, okay, whenever this wrestler, whenever a wrestler is fighting this type of fighter, you know, the probability of them winning is this, and I can apply that to some sort of model. The problem is eventually the market catches up to that as well. Other people start to do that. And for me, I think MMA is a unique sport in which, um, it's very hard to do quantitative analysis of it because of the data. Whereas if I were to watch the fight, if I were to watch every single card, I think I would have a better chance of, of predicting MMA fights than by just looking at data and running a model. A sport like baseball is the complete opposite. Yeah. You know, if I'm just watching baseball games and betting them, I have no hope of, of winning in the long run. <laughs> nope. Like I, I'm not going to see anything that comes to me or, or whatever. Right. Whereas if you're using all the data that's available in baseball, you have a much better chance to build something that's going to win in the long run. So I think it's very sport dependent uh, overall, but every sport provides some sort of challenge, right? Um, how much do I incorporate into a model? What can I leave behind? Um, how much does weather matter? How much does, you know, rest and travel matter? And, and for all these sports, it's very, it's a very different problem to solve. So it's not specific to um, any, you know, given team with that said, if I had never bet against Tom Brady in my life and the New England Patriots, I would be retired on a private <laughs> island somewhere. I don't know why, how that team consistently outperformed their metrics for so many years. I don't know if it was Brady or if it was Belichick or just the combo. But statistically speaking, the Patriots to me were always overvalued in market and they would always win. And it was just like it, it got to the point where it's like, why am I betting a on anyone but Tom Brady going into the season. Like, why would I take out a Super Bowl future on anyone else when I could just bet the, the Patriots or, or the Bucks now at like eight to one? And that's, you know, and I, I, I can never explain that one. I, I've never gotten <laughs> to the bottom of it, but uh, I bet against the uh, Patriots for a long time with a very, very poor record in a long period. Soup, I know that you've got, you've, <laughs> you, you, you've got very similar, uh, you know, similar story, similar trappings, you know, anything in particular you want to add to that? Uh, no, I just, I, I don't understand how somebody could bet against Tom Brady. I really <laughs> uh, but I, I'm, I'm a Tom Brady lover. I have been since probably the age of 11 or 12 years old when I first really started watching football and actually understanding the game of football. Um, didn't have a, you know, didn't have somebody to push me in the right direction as far as favorite team. So as a young, influenceable boy, um, mm -hmm. I went with the team that everybody in Pittsburgh hated <laughs> and the best team in the league. And as ever since then, I've been a New England fan, still am, um, even though I'm, I don't know Belichick, I think, is losing his mind a little bit. And I don't know what Mac Jones, if he's really the future or not. But um, <clears throat> I don't know. There's just – there's certain teams that I, I'll catch myself and I'll be like, you know, like for, for one, the Steelers, I live in the Pittsburgh area. Right. So I get a lot of the, the media influence from Pittsburgh area. I get a lot of the fan influence from the Pittsburgh area. Um, I look at the team from an outsider standpoint and I say, this is not a good team. 
There, it's not consistent quarterback play. Um, the offensive line is absolutely miserable, and the defense is not trustworthy. Um, they're very boomer bust defense. They're they're kind of like the Dallas defense of last year, um, where they are very you know they. I'm trying to think of the right word I want here. Reliant um, on turnovers. Uh, what's that? They're reliant. They're reliant on right, right. They're, they're they're an opportunistic defense. Yes. You know they, they they get their they get the turnovers and they rely off those turnovers. It's Cincinnati week one five turnovers, five turnovers, and they won the game twenty three to twenty. If they have two turnovers, they're losing that game by twenty one. Like they're they they rely on turnovers. They're not gonna you know they're not gonna stop you in between the twenties. Um, so I look at the Steelers and I say you know I don't like the Steelers. But then there's a part of me, and it's Mike Tomlin has never finished under 500 in his career as a Steelers head coach. And I'm like, somehow this guy finds a way to get it done. <laughs> somehow, no matter what, when you threw Mason Rudolph followed by Duck Hodges out on the field, <laughs> somehow against the Chargers, yep, Duck Hodges was able to get it done. Like Mike Tomlin, I, it, it, that's one of those teams where I'm just like, I can't figure them out, especially in the modern era with Mike Tomlin. And that that's my sports betting timeline. I mean, I haven't been betting sports prior to Mark to Mike Tomlin. Um, but like like this year, I, I I was very adamant on Najee Harris under 1600 yards. That's just such a ridiculous number to put on a running back that has a high school offensive line right now. Um, he's not going to see 380 touches like he did last year. That's absolutely it's unbelievable that he saw 380 as a rookie to think that he's going to see 380 in back-to-back years, but everybody sees, Oh, they've got Mitchell Trubisky, you know, and, and Kenny Pickett, they're going to check the ball down. They're going to feed Najee Harris, but if he can't get past the line of scrimmage, he's not going to be able to get yards. Yep. Um, so that, that, that's a, that was a preseason future that I really liked was Najee under 1600 yards right now. And I think through two games, he's sitting at like 133 yards um, total. So, and injured, like, like and, injured, and, wa- yeah. and walking and around like you know he's got he's got something wrong with his leg. Right, he, he's got the running back killer yeah. sitting there waiting to be activated. Uh, he's got a Liz Franck injury, mm-hmm. and yes, Travis Etienne came back from it, but we haven't really seen what Travis Etienne can do. Um, he, you know, all the reports are that he's still explosive, and I get that, but it, it's sprained right now. If he truly injures his ankle it's over for Najee Harris. And it's, it's it's statistically proven that running backs don't come back from that. It's like a torn Achilles. Mm-hmm. You're not coming back from that. You're not going to have the same explosiveness. You're not going to be able to stop and cut on a dime. Um, probably the, you know, the only player that I've ever seen come back from a torn Achilles in the NFL and still be productive, which is incredible, was Vince Wolferk. Mm-hmm. At all 400 pounds of a human being he was, the fact that he came back from a torn Achilles and was still productive um, outside of that, I can't. I really can't think of one. Um, can I? Um, can I? Can I? I want to go back to something you had said. Both of you had mentioned it, and I want to kind of shift it off of football for a split second here on that. Um, as far as as far as MMA goes, we have the 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 one X factor here that doesn't exist in team sports that continually rears its ugly head when it comes to the betting market, and that is the judging. Um, it's really the only sport out there that is existing in like a major betting market where the outcome of the contest is determined or can be determined rather by 
somebody that isn't competing. Like in a very legitimate sense, you could say like a referee blew a call that led to an outcome, but we have actual individuals not competing that are determining the winner and loser of something. And we've got these, you know, I would argue um, that the judging, even under unified rule sets, is not getting better. It might in fact be getting worse. Um, we have expressed, you know, some some displeasure, and then Soup and I have talked, and then just did the general fan sentiment is it's very hard to bet on any fight now where the probability of a decision is likely because you cannot trust judges right now. Um, when you were betting MMA or just, I guess, basic insight on this, um, is that something you should consider? You know, because we don't get we don't get judge assignments so i can't see when chris lee or adelaide bird is going to judge a fight to know to avoid them but i mean i guess historically speaking you know are you just better off playing finishers than than anything else i would say no and here's the reason why um i i i grew up playing poker uh i was you know in my teenage years and when chris moneymaker won the world series of poker i tried poker for professionally for a year and I brought this up, you know, a little bit earlier, about 20 minutes ago, but I, I play poker literally 12 hours a day for a year. I can tell you every horrible hand that I lost, every bad beat. I cannot tell you the biggest pot I've ever won in my life. I can't remember when I, you know, I got quads against a full house or something like that. Same applies to fighting. And there's no, no worse feeling, like the taste in your mouth when you think you got robbed on a judging decision sucks. <laughs> It's horrible. Like Max you, Holloway, you, you, Alexander Volkanovsky too. Yeah. I, I I can remember the times I lay awake in bed, just like how did they? How did this happen? Like how I I won this bed, I got robbed. But the the reality is that over time, theoretically, this will balance out. Yep. Mm. There's going to be just as many decisions that go in your favor as go against you, unless you're the most cursed person on planet Earth. But people just don't remember. They don't like to talk about when they mm. when they won a bet that they shouldn't have won. They just want to be fixated on the ones where they got unlucky or they got robbed. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the sport is, right? Sometimes officiating works in your favor. Sometimes it works against you. That's what we deal with when we're betting. Now in MMA, there might be a little bit more variance in that because um, so many of the fights are judged. Like you go to a, a, a scorecard, judges scorecards, and there is like a little bit more variance there. So you might feel the swings a lot more than in another team sport. But overall, that shouldn't change how you bet the sport, right? If in the grand scheme of things, it's going to work out to be 50-50 in terms of how many are going to work in your favor, uh, in terms of judges' decisions, how many are going to work against you, then that shouldn't make you look elsewhere. That's not to say you can't look elsewhere. Obviously, you can find value in betting individual round props, live betting, whatever. But... Um, I, I wouldn't say that that's a reason for you to just say, no, I'm done with betting the, the UFC. I'm not going to bet on any fights, you know, before it happens anymore, or I'm only going to look for TKL props or submission props or whatever, because um, the possibility that it's going to go to a judge's scorecard. Gotcha. So let's, let, let's shift things up a little bit. I want to give you an ample opportunity to talk about it. Um, if you, if you wouldn't mind, if you wouldn't just share with people like what bet stamp is the Genesis behind it, the aim moving forward, and, and what you guys got cooking over there. Because I think it's a fantastic uh, setup. As a person that has developed and released an app before, um, I'm, I'm very impressed with w what you guys got going on here. So sort of walk us through that if you wouldn't mind. At its core, Betstamp is a, an odds aggregator tool, 
So essentially, I would preach this to anyone who's listening out there. This is extremely important to me as well. I bet at as many sports books as humanly possible. I say that in all seriousness. Now, I, I don't, you know, a lot of people can't go and open up a sports book account at 25 different books, but by betting at one book, you're doing yourself a huge disservice in the long run. So like even using Bellator this week as an example, right? Ben Henderson and Peter, uh, you, you got to pronounce the last name for me. If it, you know. it, I've heard Quayley, but Quayley. It's, I mean, it looks like Quayley, but I mean, he's Irish. So you, you got to, you got to put it on it, you know? So it's, it's probably, it's probably Quayley. So if, if I'm betting Quayley at Bet Rivers right now, I'm getting mm-hmm. plus 155. If I'm betting him at FanDuel, I'm getting plus 182. That's mm. a substantial difference for a hundred dollar better. In, instead of winning 155 bucks, I can win 182 on a bet. And all I got to do is spend two seconds finding the best price. And that's essentially what BetStamp is going to do for you. So you would input your sports books, whether that's the ones you already bet at or all the ones in your state will automatically pull those for you. Whenever you would go to place a bet, you'd quickly open up BetStamp first. You'd go to the sports book that has the best available price. And like even on the other side of things, right? Ben Henderson is FanDuel is minus 230 on Ben Henderson. DraftKings is minus 195. That's huge savings. If yeah. if you bet Henderson at minus 195 and you lose, it's going to suck. But if you bet him at FanDuel and you're $100 better, you just lost 35 bucks more for no reason other than not line shopping the odds. So I think we're all price sensitive in our day-to-day lives, right? Lots of people go to the grocery store. They'll buy stuff that's on sale. They're going to fill up at the gas station that has the cheapest gas. You're going to do internet shopping and you're going you're to shop the price. But for sports betting, this concept is lost on people. I think part of it is just sheer laziness. And I think part of it is just a lack of education that people don't know any better. They open up one sportsbook account. They just keep betting there until they run out of money. <laughs> Line shopping is the single big, like easiest way to gain an edge in sports. And what you'll actually see even during live UFC fights is what are called arbitrage opportunities, guaranteed money, where you can bet one side, you can bet both sides of the fight and win money no matter what, uh, because there's such a big difference between these sports books and what they offer. So at its core, that's what BetStamp is. It saves you time, saves you money. It, it, you know, it's kind of the Expedia of sports betting is what I would say. No one just goes to, you know, the Mexican resort that they want to, to book and, and, and find it on Google. They're going to go to Expedia. They're going to shop all the resorts and all the prices, and then they're going to pick where they're going to go stay. And that's exactly what BetStamp does for sports. So uh, it's extremely useful. I, I only get involved in products that I'm passionate about and that I use on a daily basis. And I'm a pro sports better. I use it on a daily basis, but all my friends are very casual betters, recreational betters. They still use it. And it's just a great way to save money in the long run. I love it. I love it. So, I, okay, we talked about this briefly last episode, and and I want to you you've said you've used the term, so I'm just going to use your term. So, I'm professional sports better. In your estimation, what quantifies or qualifies in that regard? Like, this is what I'm doing as a profession. Your win percentage, all the above. I mean, what what is like you know? Because there's there's quite a few people out there that claim to be you know king shit of whatever turd mountain and it's just not the case so what where did that transition come from and how do you quantify that i would say there's no universal definition for it what i would say is if the majority of your income comes from sports betting there you go okay 
All right, you know, fair enough. I, at one point, I was a semi-pro sports better. I worked right. a full-time job. I was making money. Uh, I was doing well, but not making as much as my full-time job. I think when it becomes your actual primary source of income, that's when you can call yourself a professional sports better. Gotcha. I, I know some people get hung up on like the percentages, like I've got a 67% win percentage or whatever the case may be, but uh, it's it's got to be that income replacement. I can dig it. I can dig it for sure. Uh, Soup. I'm gonna. We had a we had a question hit the chat here, and I, I want to pose it to you. All right, and then Rob, you can you can jump in on that. Um, so, when betting MMA, especially over unders, or betting a fighter to get a sub TKO, how much should you consider the referee for the fight? For example, Herb Dean might rush in where Herzog might not, and it could result in a TKO or KO. Um, Soup, what do you what do you think about that? And then Rob, you can jump in after that. I guess, sure, you can put some weight on that, but I wouldn't put too much weight into it. Um, you brought up Tim Donahue earlier. Um, when I think of, you know, referees having an influence, I think of the whole Tim Donahue scandal. And it's not even Tim Donahue, but the other referees that he was with. And that's how he based a lot of the bets that he made. Um, he knew that, you know, certain referees – didn't like certain players, certain referees didn't like certain coaches or certain referees were friends with certain coaches. Certain referees called certain things more than the other, which pushed him in an over under direction. Um, so I think, I don't want to say that you can put a lot of weight in it in team sports either. Uh, you could a, a while ago. I definitely think that that was the case, but like Rob said, if we notice it, you better believe that the books notice it as well. So all these lines are adjusted to take account for these officials and, and their, their, their history of, Oh, um, when, you know, when Sean Hockley is the line judge in, in a football game, the unders, you know, 39 and nine, um, because he calls more offensive holding than any other referee in the entire NFL. If that information is available to us by a quick search, you better believe that, you know, the, the, the masterminds out there and the analytical programs that are setting these lines, it's available to them as well. Um, there are certain referees uh, in UFC that I feel are real quick, real quick to jump in there and stop something that I don't think is necessarily, you know, needs to be stopped. Uh, but over under rounds are set at a round and a half, two and a half rounds. You, you got seconds to work with there. If you're really basing it off of that, I think you're putting yourself in a disadvantageous position. Rob? Um, just a quick question for you guys. Do you know when the UFC referee assignments come out? Like, are they announced a day before? Is it just, do you guys know the timing on that? With main events, they will usually uh, several weeks prior, they'll announce for a main event. Um, as far as prelim fights, we really don't see, I don't, I don't have a lot of access to it. I don't see a lot of people that do. Um, that being said, there are, there's a contingency, like a rotation that tends to hit um, based on like seniority and location. So um, a lot of these guys and girls aren't, you know, may or may not be licensed in different states, um, or they may not be assigned th the the larger fights based on the severity of it. Um, case in point, uh, Chris Tognoni and Mark Smith are pretty heavy in the rotation when it comes to the Apex cards, um, but they don't travel mm -hmm. well. 
Uh, Texas, on the other hand, Kerry Hatley is a guy that used to be in Vegas, but I don't think he's licensed in Vegas anymore. So whenever they go to Texas, Kerry Hatley shows up quite a bit. And then when they go overseas, you're looking at Big Dan. Um, you've got Mike Beltran from time to time, Herb, Mark Goddard, and that's about it. Um, the only time that I've really noticed any sort of uh, discrepancy where it's been an issue has been the Lavelle brothers, Jaron and Jared Lavelle, who are Canadian. Um, and they, I think one of them had an issue with betting on betting on fights that like the other brother was an official for. Um, but again, I, I, I feel like I'm pulling that from something. I don't know it entirely, but go ahead. Sorry. Fair enough. So, so what I was going to say to that is in every sport, including MMA, you're going to have referees that skew one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So in baseball, you're going to have guys with wide strike zones mm -hmm. and you're going to have guys with small strike zones. In <clears throat> NBA, you got refs that call more fouls. There's refs that are more lenient. In MMA, you'll have guys that are more likely to stop a fight earlier versus letting it go. The question is whether or not it's already baked into the market. So typically speaking, in the NBA, for example, referee assignments will come out at a certain point of the day. As soon as those come out, you have to bet the total quickly in the game lines because everybody quick. knows. And then after about five minutes, the line's already adjusted. Anyone who goes before the game time and says, oh, this guy's refing tonight. He calls a lot of fouls. Well, that's already baked into the price of the game. Mm -hmm. Now you're betting with no edge. I would say the same thing probably applies for MMA. If you do know the refs beforehand, everybody has access to that information. As soon as that information comes out, the the fight is likely going to be bet in one direction or another if that referee matters towards the, the outcome of the fight. If not, then the market won't react at all. So I would say, yes, the, the fight, like the, the referee does probably matter if he's, you know, one of those refs that's at the extreme. The challenge when you're betting it is you got to just bet it quickly because as soon as that information is out in the market for a long time, the number will move, and now you're you're thinking you're betting some sort of edge, and that you found something. But the reality is, it's already been accounted for by the line movement. Gotcha. All right, one one more question from the chat, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll bid you do. I know you got date night planned. Um, <laughs> what's a recommend? I, I know what the recommended bet size is per your bankroll, but what would you recommend for the bet size of a sprinkle? Asking for a friend. <laughs> Good question as well. Um, <laughs> Listen, um, bankroll management, obviously, you, you know, it's, it's key to being a better, your risk tolerance is going to be, is going to depend, uh, you know, determine what you're betting. So for example, most people will bet one to 2% of their bankroll as an average size play. Some people might not, some people might go higher than that because they have a higher risk tolerance and that's completely fine. Your volume is also going to determine your bet size. If I'm making a hundred bets a day. I can't bet 2% of my bankroll on every one because that's that's 200% of my bankroll. So I'm probably going to be having smaller units. If I'm betting two or three plays a day, then I might go with something like two or 3%. Typically speaking, sprinkle is not a great word. It's just, it's like, it's a term for just making a very small bet. You probably want to go with like one tenth of your average size bet. So if you're betting a hundred bucks on something and you want it to sprinkle on the money line or a, you know some sort of alternative, probably 10 bucks. That's not a standard rule of thumb, but you it's typically much smaller than what your your base unit is going to be. Gotcha. All right. So you're, you're, you're telling me that you don't make 500 unit Megalodon plays like certain guys in Vegas? 
honestly, that's the biggest way to go broke, right? The, the whole, the Martingale system is great in theory until yeah. you just keep losing. And right. it's, it's not that flip a coin, right? Flip a coin five times in a row. Yeah. It's not that hard to get five tails or five no, heads not. and people continuously double their units. Oh, one, $1 bet lost. Okay. I'm going to go to two till I win four, eight, 16 before you know it. Now you've lost yourself almost 30 bucks. You started with $1 play on only five plays. Like people get out of hand with the unit sizing, think that, thinking that, oh, it's all going to balance out. No, no, no. Like it's, it's very random. I've had, I'm, I'm a pro. I've had months where I've got absolutely slaughtered. Like I lose like 12 games in a row, 14 games in a row. I've had streaks like that. So it can happen to anyone and try to stay as consistent as possible. It's hard sometimes because you might get into a hole you might be down six, seven units. And the thought of getting it all back in one shot just feels great, right? Like, ah, you know what? I really like this play. I'm going to try to get it all back. Don't do that. Like, no, just man. try to slowly work your way out of it. I mean, it's that's the best piece of advice I can give. But problem gaming is a real thing because people push the limits. Um, bet with, you know, what amounts of money that you're comfortable with and do your best to not chase losses. That's the best advice I can give. Yeah, people have the whole mentality of the the, the I'm due factor. Right. Um, you know, yeah. I, I've lost five in a row. I'm due to win. No, I feel attacked. I feel attacked. It's called, like, it's called gambler's fallacy, right? Yes. It, it's it's the same people who go to a roulette table and, and they like look at the nut. All each spin it is spin is independent of the it's one an before the individual event. Yes. Yeah, the, the ones before didn't matter, right? The fact that three twelves came up in the last ten spins doesn't mean anything. Well, it could be if there's something wrong with the table, but there's probably not something wrong with the table. Right. So, and it's the same thing in sports, right? That's ah, I've lost, I've lost four in a row, but I got unlucky on a couple of those. I'm seeing the board clearly. Like you're not seeing the board clearly. You're doing the exact same thing <laughs> that you always do, and think you know things might be worth insanity. Exactly, it's what people convince themselves of is insane, right? <laughs> like I'm not seeing it clearly. It's like no, you're you're you have the exact same process that you always do. It's just sports are random. They're very very random, and it's okay to have long losing streaks. You'll have long winning streaks too, but it just deal with the randomness and don't don't press. I mean, don't press when you're cold. I can especially tell you that. That's a, a recipe for disaster. Sure is. I feel attacked. I feel attacked. All right, <laughs> Rob, I appreciate you coming on, man. Um, this, this was a lot of fun. Um, you know, once get back into the MMA, get back into the MMA scene. Let, let's, I want to experience, I want you to experience some of the, some of the frustration that we experience on a weekly basis, uh, watching guys like Herb Dean, Chris Tonyoni, Chris Lee, and, Adelaide birds screw shit up for the rest of us, but no, listen, I, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your insight on everything. Um, and you know, it was, it was cool to sit down and, and, and talk to you and I hope that we get to do it again soon. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, I will get back. I, I was a huge MMA fan at one point. So my, my Twitter timeline during like the main like cards is still yep. off the hook with MMA. So I'm still kind of in tune with what's going on. I just don't get around to watching as much as I used to, um, predominantly because I don't bet it as much as I used to either. But um, I appreciate you guys having me. This has been been great, great conversation. Yeah, for sure. Thanks thanks again for everything. And we'll talk to you here soon. I got thanks, one guys. more question for you, Rob. Oh, yeah, go okay. ahead. All right. Dallas getting two and a half this weekend against the Giants. I wish these teams were not playing each other this week so I could bet against both of them. That's honestly how I, the giants like are getting really lucky. They stink. Yeah. 
Um, I, I think the cow, the Cowboy Micah Parsons might be the best defensive player in the NFL right now. I, I say that yeah. un, unbiased, but he's, he's, no, he's just, unbelievable, but Cooper rush, like the, the shine is going to wear off at some point soon. Yeah. So uh, I don't have a, I don't have a bet on the game. I don't have a strong opinion. I looked at the schedule this week and I was like, ah, oh, wow. You know, I, I, you know, the giants to me seem to be a very overvalued team right now. And uh, they're, they're scraping by, but um yeah, that's that's my opinion on that one. If Cooper Rush gets hurt, do you think Tannehill comes back? He looked like he was in shape the other day. I saw him sit Fitz, sideline. Fitzpatrick. Or what what I say, Tannehill? Fitzpatrick. Sorry, yeah. Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, they got I Will Greer, how... baby. West Virginia. Will Greer. Oh, Will Greer. That's right. They got Will Greer. Yeah, that's uh, right. I forgot. I, the, the Prescott injury is not as bad as it originally was thought it would be. So I, I don't think they'll be rushing to get somebody off the street if if Rush did get hurt. But Jerry Jones is known for for pulling the uh, the fire alarm every now and then, pulling the pan, <laughs> pressing the panic button, just like the meme. So you never know with the Cowboys. Yeah, if Garoppolo, if uh, Trey Lance didn't suffer. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> Probably the most yep. brutal injury I've seen since Dak's ankle injury. Yeah, um, I was real. I was ready for Jerry Jones to hit that panic button and bring Jimmy Garoppolo in. I wouldn't um, have been surprised. Yeah, but Garoppolo, they don't have the cap room to do it, but they would have found a way. I yeah. mean, yeah. Garoppolo bet on himself and took the pay cut and took the unrestricted free agent. And boy, is it going to pay off because every game he plays in, he gets two hundred fifty k. If they win, he gets three hundred. He's looking at like six million in incentives, um, and He's going to get paid in the offseason again because Trey Lance will not be back to start next season. That's just yep. that that's that's a brutal injury. I wish nothing but the best for the kid, but Garoppolo bet on himself. And unlike Le'Veon Bell, it's going to work out. <laughs> it's true. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, let's we'll let you run, Rob. Appreciate you, man. Have, right. have a good Thanks, night. Guys. We'll see you. Yep. Thank you. All right, dude. What's up, man? What's up? What's up? Chilling, what's up? What's up, man? We're just chilling, you know, having a grand old time. I'm a double uh, dose of NyQuil in. Are you really? Oh, you're feeling weird, huh? <laughs> I'm struggling right <laughs> you're now. feeling weird. Oh, man. Well, let's talk about a couple things MMA-related real quick before before it cuts you loose, all right? Um, so I just threw a fat lipper in so you'll be ready to rock and roll yeah. for at least – you got at least 10 more minutes in you, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I want to go back earlier in the chat. Somebody said, can you give me a lean on Makachev? versus Oliveira. Market so I think I think it has to be the lean, right? I think it has yeah. to be. Um just based on the fact that I think the submission defense game will be strong enough. I'm not sure what else. I don't think Charlie Olives is going to put him in a spot that he couldn't that he's not going to be accustomed to handle just through brute strength and, and ability. So um I'll I'll go uh, my initial lean is Makachev and under three and a half. Under. Under. I think I think it's I think he gets it done. I think he I think he gets them done. Okay. I, I what I've noticed about Charlie Olives the last few times out is he's like a racehorse. Oh dude, he comes out fast. He comes out real fast. Yeah. He he's looking he's like a great 155 now, like where he was like a before he was like a drained 45. He's like a solid as shit 155. And I just don't think he's he's going to be built for twenty plus minutes. And I think if if Makachev or yeah if Makachev avoids the early the early sting, um, I think he puts a pace on him that that ends really that you know that he can he can get him out of there. I, I think under three and a half or maybe a no round five start 
might be my initial might be a uh, something i'm yeah. looking at as well yeah so um but that being said uh we had a great we had a great event this last weekend um we ha- i thought it was good i thought yeah, dude no it was, it was good. you took a bunch of dana white contender series people in roster fillers threw them all on a card and it delivered violence throughout it did. So, yeah so let's go main event let's talk about the main event real quick Corey sandhagen versus song yudong you and i are both big song yudong fans and both both of us are very big Corey sandhagen fans right. um it's like seeing you know um you know I don't know, like it'd be like our dogs getting into a fight. You know what I yeah. mean? We both we love them and that they had to fight each other for whatever reason. What what are some of your takeaways from that fight? Um, Sanhagen did what we kind of expected Sanhagen to do there, man. Uh he kept his distance, he used his jab and he used those razor blade elbows um to to, to keep Song Yudong at bay. The one thing we didn't account for, which I don't know why we didn't, is that Song Yudong is a fucking dog. There's no quit, buddy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It just and normally you see guys with that muscle mass burn out. Yes. And he did not. Yes. Um, he's nonstop pressure. Uh, we did take the under four and a half, not the way we expected to win it. Wins a win. A win's a win. Wins a win. Um, I don't care. Wins a win. It was brutal. Uh, but Corey Sanhagen's got a better chin. Than I thought he was going to have because you don't hmm. caught him a couple times, um, pretty cleanly. Uh, so I don't know. It was a great fight. Uh, I'd love to see them run it back. What do you make of the scorecards? All judges had it two two going into five. Do you agree with that? No. I thought Sandhagen three one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, two two. I would. When you texted me that the other day, I was like, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. But again, like Rob said, sitting, sitting cage side and judging is much different than but that fight wasn't like a it wasn't like a lot of in the clinch fighting who's landing this who's landing i thought it was pretty blatantly clear who controlled the pace who controlled the center of the octagon and who landed more strikes i'll tell you i'll tell you something that stood out to me and i had to i'm still fleshing out the best way to word it so you'll have to you'll have to bear with me here but it's something that's been on my mind after watching that fight I'm more convinced now than I ever have been that Sandhagen, if he, I don't know if he'll ever become one, but he's got everything necessary to become a champion because he's fighting like a champion at this current level. And what I mean by that is, is he is just like, he came out with just the right level of violence just the right level of creativity, but did not put himself in any way, shape, or form. Like he made Song work for every bit of offense that he has. And what we've seen lately out of the champions is that's the way that it's been. Champions that used to be, I'll I'll just use GSP as just an example off the top of my head. GSP, before he had the belt, was one of the most offensively aggressive fighters on the roster. As soon as he got the belt, he became a counter fighter. There are not many champions in the UFC right now that are not fighting like counterfighters. Like, who do you know that has a belt that's an overtly aggressive fighter right now? No, I and I agree with that. And to go with your GSP statement, you can make that arg- argument for Izzy. Um, yeah. Izzy was aggressive before he got the belt. And yep. who, who Izzy bases his entire fighting, you know, John Jones. 
John right. Jones wildly aggressive until he right. got the belt, and now he's a, he's a, he's a counter puncher in the MMA. Right. right. So so now you have Sanhagen. Sanhagen comes out right, and he. I mean, I'm not again. I'm not saying that the win over Song wasn't a statement win because he looked great in doing it, but coming off back to back losses in you know number one and two contender spots, if you go out there and you sleep them or you choke them out, right? Like you you just go out there. It it does it puts you right back, right? But instead, he goes out and he he fights like a champ, wins the, wins it, and what I thought was a very dominant fashion. But what's he forced to do? He's now forced to call out somebody behind him in the rankings in yeah. Cheeto. Yeah. So, um, I as far as his ability to make adjustments, um and show the IQ, right? Like, remember, remember fight first start? He goes out and he, like, presses Song like he was going to take him down. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that just completely messed with his head. Like, right yeah. off the rip, I'm going to try. What are you trying to take he him shot, down for? what, three or four times in the first yeah. minute and a half. Yeah, yeah, and, and was pushing was him up against the cage. And, yeah. yeah, it was very strange. But after that, he kept Song at bay the entire time. So um, very, very interesting. Very interesting. Let's see here. Michael says Islam's resume is not that impressive, in my opinion. He's beat a lot of good dudes, but really no one that's elite. Charlie Olives has literally fought almost says Lloyd, but I'm going to go with. uh, okay, the second part of it here, all the top guys at 145 and 155. Yes and no. And. It, it, you know, I'll let you make the argument <clears throat> against the Oliveira comment. Yeah. But as far as Islam goes, like you have to build your way up. You know what I mean? You you're not going to be thrown against the elite of the elite. Everybody starts somewhere. Mm. Um, and I know that you you know you're not a huge Chimaev fan. Um, <laughs> but it's the same thing with Chimaev. Like you, you got to start somewhere. You got to build your way up. And I think this, yes, this is the biggest test for Islam Makachev, for sure. Um, but I do think that he comes out of there with the win. Super rocking an NBA sweatshirt. Can we get a Ball is Life reference? Oh, my God, dude. Ball is Life. What I, I've watched more YouTube Ball is Life than anything else in my entire life. Uh, it was a great channel. It, it's a great statement. And, yeah, yes, Ball is Life. Well, so there, there, it might be that, but it also might be the fact that I've consistently referenced my basketball background Ooh. Um, with on the show with Trey, and Trey used to always give me shit and be like, oh, I forgot, ball is life. Oh. So maybe, maybe, I, and I don't want to put words in Angel's mouth here, he might be asking you to confirm ball is that, life. that ball was life. Yeah, ball was life, man. Ball was life. The, okay. M- the basketball ruled the world. Yeah, I remember being in my room with that little basketball hoop on my door, watching the Sixers play on ESPN at ten thirty, reenacting yes. every move that Allen Iverson made. Right, ball was yeah. life. Ball was life. Okay, all right. So, uh, I want to talk about the Oliveira thing real quick. So, Oliveira, um, it, it just in, it, again, my opinion, the the title shot, the interim title shot, or the title shot as a whole came more so from a, the division being in a weird space. Because if you look at his his win streak to get there, right, 45, 55, be damned, um, it's, it's not a who's who the way you think it is, right? It feels like it might have been, but it's really not, okay? And I say that because 
it starts with Guida, then it goes to Christos Yagos, beats Jim Miller, fantastic win there. But mm-hmm. David Tamer, Nick Lentz, Jared Gordon, Kevin Lee, and then Kevin Lee's gone after that. Tony Ferguson and what we now know is no, no longer Tony Ferguson. And then the win over Michael Chandler. Um, so I would make the argument that, you know, the win streak that he went to to get him in the position to fight for the belt was not particularly great, but more so uh, coming off, you know, a primetime win over Kevin Lee, a win over what we thought was, you know, a retro Tony Ferguson, which we now know was not. And then he goes out there and he beats Michael Chandler. Um, I'm still on the fence about how I feel about Michael Chandler in, in certain spots. Right. Um, and then the Poirier thing, the matchup of, for, against Poirier was just always going to be a bad spot for Poirier. Correct. That was, that was, that was more matchup based than anything else. Going back to what Rob was talking about, when you want to look at the historicals and the data set of particular fighters, that's one of the first fights that would pop into my mind is that, Dustin Poirier getting his back taken and being in a position where he cannot shake off people, whether they're in side control, top position or anything like that, that was always going to be a bad fight for him. Always going to be a bad fight for him. Um, the only fight that, that Olive's win that I, that has won that really just kind of shook me um, was the Gaethje fight. Yeah. And I now know it to be it's because Gaethje didn't fight a Gaethje fight. He, he has lo- an idiot. his his fight IQ is fucking zero. Yeah. It's zero. The the Gaethje that existed in Tony Ferguson, right? In the Tony Ferguson fight is like whenever um it's like like it's it's like that it's like the fat kid in um you know exactly what I'm talking about. No, uh, yes, you do. It's a it, dude. Gaethje in the Tony Ferguson fight was like the fat black kid in old school that hits the pommel horse. Okay, okay, all right. That's what that was. He just he somehow managed to close his eyes and fight like Manny Pacquiao for 25 minutes. That's what I don't understand because that Gaethje has never existed before and he's never existed after. So to say that he's ever going to do that again, I think is stupid. I just don't think, I don't think it's ever going to happen. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Wow. (laughs) You dug for that one, but it works. I just, I couldn't think of it. It, it, it was in my mind. I just couldn't, I had to get there quicker, but yeah, that's how I feel. So any, anyway, uh, I know that you didn't see it live, but did you get a chance to go back yeah. and watch the Gregory Rodriguez chitty fight? Yeah. I went back and watched it. It was good. Boy, that was a war, huh? Yeah, it was good. Everything yeah. that was expected out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so let's, let's end it on this. Um, We've got – you're going to be on next week too, right? We're going to break down the Dern and Yon Cakes. part. Yeah, well, your board's not mine. Um, we're going we're gonna to break down the Mackenzie Dern, Yon Jaunan fight. Um, Is Garbrandt on that card too? No, he dropped out today. Who, who he was supposed to fight? Was he fighting he was spo- Yaha? He was, to, he was supposed to fight Ronnie Yaya, and Ronnie Yaya dropped out. Wait, Ronnie and- Yaya dropped out? Listen, Ronnie Yaya dropped out, and they were going to find him a replacement opponent, and then he notified the UFC today that he would, uh, in turn, be unable to compete on October 1st because he is now injured. Oh, yes. No, 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 no. We're not going to ignore this. 
People's main event. If Charlie Olives no. wins, can we get Taylor to bleach his hair? Negative. Negative. What about Negative. the beard? Neg- oh, definitely not. Yeah, go make a full Gordon Ryan and just go white. No, um, I'm actually, um, I'm actually shaving my head tomorrow, um, so I won't have any hair to bleach. And then, yeah, so we'll have to come up with something different as far as punishment goes in that regard. Who has Islam beat to earn a title shot? Nobody. I, I, I can't. I will not argue that Islam has beat anybody to earn a title shot. The the what Islam has done to earn a title shot is the UFC push. Is what he's what he's gotten there you have to understand and i'm sure you do so i'm not saying it like you don't that like you don't know sorry there's a vacuum right now where the ufc has little to no superstars um but yet they have markets that are starving for superstars i.e the english market and the eastern block russian asian market um you know that that they need a superstar they need a a habib they, they just need it. There, there's got to be some, there's got to be um, an antagonist and a protagonist. And that right now there's just none. There's none. And it, it doesn't help that two of the champions in the most exciting divisions, 185 and 145 are Aussie fighters, because while that's a decent market, um, the state of California has more people and is bigger and th- than Australia as a whole. And, as much as I love the Aussies and you guys know, I love all of you, all my Oceana people. I love you all very much. You're not a very big market as far as having champions, um, you know, the championship push for money-making and spending goes. And your guys aren't that polarizing. Like Volkanovsky is the most milk toast champion out there. I know he's number one on the pound for pound list right now. And he's very exciting to watch, but dude, if, if you told me, Dana White contender series is on or uh, Alexander Volkanovsky is going to sit down for an exclusive one-on-one with Brett Okamoto. What are you watching? You're going to watch Dana White contender series. You're going to like, literally, I think I'd watch monster truck racing before I watched Alexander Volkanovsky do anything other than fight. So here's my question. As far as Islam goes, so, sure. He hasn't beat anybody to deserve a title shot. But who else are you going to give a title shot to? Are you going to run the Poirier back? You're yeah. not going to. You're not going to run the Gaethje back. You're, what are you going to do, Mike Chandler? No. Fazeev? That's the only other argument you have. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's you, a tough. You're spot. not going to give it to Dos Nachos. No. No. Nacho. Listen. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying this right now, and I have no confirmation of this whatsoever. I just talked to him about it today. I'm going to say it right now. Drew Dober is going to fight RDA in Rio. Yeah. I, I am manifesting that. I'm te- That shit is going to happen. Everybody else that is circumnavigating the top 15 right now but is, no booked, is booked or injured. Dariush is sitting as a backup yeah. um, in case one of those guys get dropped out. Dariush is... I, I try. I want to be respectful to people's hard work and their career and stuff like that. Um, Fucking boring. Well, no, it's not that Darius is boring, but there was a time where TJ Grant got a title shot or was scheduled to get a title shot. There was a time where Eric Koch was scheduled to get a title shot. There are some guys that go on a win streak to a point where they just can't be ignored and there's nobody else. And then they just find themselves in a weird position. And Benil Darius is one of those guys. Four fights ago, Benil Dariush got slept by Alexander Hernandez. 
and now all of a sudden he's the number three lightweight in the world. How, I'm sorry, what? I don't, I don't buy the math. MMA math don't add. Um, but that being said, um, as far as what I would love, and I, I see you guys talking about it in the chat here, I would love if Charlie Olives beat Islam Makachev. I would love to see the 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 red curtain come down. That mm-hmm. would make me ecstatic. But I'm just just based on what I think is coming. I think you're going to see a Makachev win. But my heart would be overjoyed if Oliveira won. I just don't. I think it's a bad matchup for him. Yeah, and Darius right now UFC has him at six in the lightweight rankings. Oh, so he's moved out. Okay, for a while yeah. there he was number three. Yeah, they have him at six. Um, obviously, you know, number one is obviously Charles Oliveira. Two's Poirier. Three's Gaethje. Islam's at four. Yeah. Um, and then five's Michael Chandler, and then Darius Fazeev, Dos Nachos. Um, those guys round out your top eight. You guys, everybody's just killing time until Jalen Turner comes around. Jalen Turner gonna. Is Jalen Turner is 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 amongst the future of that division? Yeah. Like it, I'm telling, if, if there's a there's an app where you can buy fighters like their stocks, mm-hmm. you need to load up on Jalen Turner stock. That dude is a six foot two, 155 pounder with great cardio, good submissions, and knockout power. That dude is a problem for people. Jalen Turner is a real issue. Um, I, I was it. Good. Um. He made his debut late notice against Vincente, right? Yeah, like he stepped in out of nowhere and looked good. Yeah, looked good. Two minutes. I was yeah, like, until, oh, shit, until he got caught. Gonna, yeah, yeah. This kid's gonna be Vincente Luque. You're like, but yeah. then uh, obviously ended up get, got caught and lost. Um, and then who else did he lose? Steamroller. Man, yeah, he, he lost. Like, the yeah, he lost to Matt, Matt Frivoli, Yeah, and then yeah. since then he's gone like five or six in a row. Yeah, five in a row after that. Yeah. yeah. Beast, beast mode. I'm telling you, that kid's got kids got a super high ceiling. Um, yeah. Get those losses out of the way early. That's right. See, you got to learn from them, right? right? We don't we don't lose, we grow. That's all we do. Speaking right? of like a young fighter coming in and getting thrown to, you know, high level competition. We were talking about Islam not fighting anybody. Jalen Turner comes in and has to fight Vincente Luque, and then in his third fight has to fight Matt Frivola. Yeah, yeah. I mean, deep end. Not seriously. Deep end. It's like deep end. Throw him in there. See if he can swim. Speaking of young fighters, uh, anybody in the chat watch Contender Series? Did the 17-year-old win tonight on Contender Series? I did not, dude. I, I That's what I wanted to see. Um, yeah. I don't know if he won or not. I'd be interested to see. Um, Oliveira to plus 145 right now. I... Mm, I do you think... Do you think that that's um, okay? Boston Bruce bets he won or he lost. Sorry, he won by decision. Okay, cool. Nice, nice, Good very nice. Him. Yeah, that's awesome, bro. Did you see his facial structure? Yeah, he literally like he's got the facial structure of like a three hundred year old Easter Island statue. How, how on earth you convince me that kid's seventeen years old, dude? That's crazy. Um, plus one forty five on olives. I feel like. He was the only fight tonight that didn't end in a finish. Oh man. The other the other four fights were knockouts in three in round one, one in round three, and then his fight went to decision. The real question is, how did Yanni do tonight? How did Yanni do tonight? Because that's what that's where the dude, he's like the inverse Jim Kramer. 
like I don't know if you, I mean I know you're not a big stock market guy, but Jim Cramer from Mad Money is a fucking nightmare. And I'm yeah, oh no, I I know who he is. Okay, all right. Well, oh, I didn't yeah. know. I don't know I if know, you know. I know who that is. I, yeah, but yeah, how did Yanni the Greek do tonight? Yeah, what is he like? Twenty six and two out of his last twenty eight. I've had some cold streaks, man. But damn, two and twenty six, son. So what you mean to or say? Two and twenty six. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Don't give him credit that he doesn't deserve. You're right. You're right. Yanni picked know. all favorites and swept. <laughs> I mean, yeah, hey, was, you got to break that cold streak somehow. You, you have to, man. Just go, just go rock chalk. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, real quick, uh, I want to. Is there Mike, anything? Go ahead. Michael really doesn't like Islam, dude. No, he's he's fired up about it. He's he's fired up. He is gassed up. He's fired up, man. That's good. I like it, man. I like it. I like it. Get, get you some. Get you some. <laughs> You know what we'll do is if, if, if when Makachev wins, I'll <clears throat> when Makachev wins, Mike, I'll send you a Caucasus Mountain Warrior decal, man. I'll so go ahead, which is now available at the store at the link in my bio, my Instagram. I'll send you a Caucasus Mountain Warrior <laughs> decal, bro. You can you can rock that thing as a in honor of Islam beating uh, Charlie Olives. All right. Um, anyway, dude, is there anything that you see looking forward to to next weekend? that you think you should hop on now before the line moves, anything like that, that you, you, you sort of think is, is out there as far as the Mackenzie Dern, uh, Jan Janon fight or anything Bellator this week. Um, I, 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 historically speaking, I'm terrible at picking Bellator. Um, but you know, I didn't know if you had anything on the, I know you like to get a little degenerate from time to time. If there was anything that you had seen, um, out there that, um, you wanted to play anything? Uh, hang on one second. I'm looking right now. I'll tell Go you ahead. a fight that I, I'll tell you a fight I have my eye on. Is it is it Latifi? Is it the Latifi <laughs> fight? I'm not saying Latifi, but I'm saying the Latifi fight. No. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, Alexi Olenek over Alir Latifi seems like a foregone conclusion, right? Yes, we gotta dude, take, plus one fifty five. We, we got to take Olenek, right? Come on now. Yeah, you got to take Alexi. Speaking okay. of that, Fandle fucked his name all sorts of up. <laughs> They have his name spelled A L E K E Y O L E Y N I K. That might be Alex- the Russian spelling. All right, let Fandle's an, an American-based product. <laughs> man, I don't know, man. I don't know. Look, I, so I like I like the Olenek spot. Mm-hmm. I like Maxim Grishin over Philippe Linz. Okay. Um, the other one that I love. And I want to know the I want to know the odds on it here. Randy Cox, huh? Fuck out of here with Chris Dawkins, bro. <laughs> I, I am I am never betting a Dawkins brother. Don't you ever, fucking Dawkins brothers, dude. <laughs> Randy Costa, Guido Canetti. Okay, you want the odds on it? I want the odds on that uh... because. I think Guido is going to be a sizable dog, and Randy Costa got no dog in him. If Song Yudong has dog in him or just pick any sort of breed that has any bit of fight in it. Randy Costa is like, he's a Pomeranian. No dog in him. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. You're going to like this. Guido, you got to be what? Plus 375. No, plus 240. Plus but 240. Still, um, I'm on it. The, uh, but Boy, if you don't, if you don't tell that dog, he's never gonna. You tell Listen, him his uncle's gonna kick the shit out of him. He don't shut up. Randy Costa. So that was so Tony Kelly was his last fight. Yeah. When he no, told, no, no 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 wait yeah Tony no right? no Tony 
hold. Yeah, it was. I'm sorry. Yeah, Tony Kelly beat him. You're right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Um, that was the fight where he took that one single jab, and then it was just all downhill from there. He just covered up like a baby and was like, uh, uh, uh. and then Tony Kelly ended up finishing him with elbows, I believe. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, Randy Costa does not have it in him. Uh, all it takes is one. All it yeah. takes is one for him to give up. Yeah, and that's even in the Yanez fight when he was using the jab and was doing well against Yanez, everything looked great. And then the moment that he couldn't get Yanez out of there, and then Yanez started booping him on his nose. Mm-hmm. The first couple boops to the nose, he was like, "I'm just gonna stand still real quick, and I'm just gonna wait for the referee to come in here, <laughs> and I just hope that this doesn't hurt too bad until he gets here." And then that was it. <laughs> yeah, it was over with. Yeah. It was over. It was over. Um, real quick, I don't think I addressed it to anybody that's watching. Uh, my normal computer's not working, so I've got to use a different microphone. I have no idea what the audio is going to be like, and we're getting a different direction in my office, so there, there's that. Um, and then Mike Davis versus Slava Claus is another fight. They brought Mike Davis back onto the roster. Um, Mike Davis is game as shit. Um, I'm looking right now to get your odds. Um yeah. As far as there's a question in the chat that said 17-year-old in the UFC now that his parents have to sign off on that, I would assume so. Yes, they did. Um, It's like, you know, ball is life. Andrew Bynum signed with the Lakers as a 17-year-old. His parents had to sign off on that. Um, So I would assume, yeah, you're you're under the age of 18. Your parents have to make that decision for you. I love it. Uh, Who was Mike Davis? Mike Davis and Vacheslav Borshev. Slava Claus. Okay. Um, that's not who they have Mike Davis fighting on FanDuel right now, but no, Slava's stepping in. Uh, it, they just it, they just changed it like a couple days ago. Gotcha. Okay. Well, the prior odds were Mike Davis at minus 175. Yeah. Question for Soup. How come we didn't ask the guests to stand up and check for June shorts? Is that something Trey did? No, I don't think so. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's because Rob's uh, Canadian or maybe Ooh. he's asking you. You don't wear jorts, do you? You're not a big jorts guy. I'm not a jorts guy. Come on. I don't. If you've ever seen me from the waist down, jorts is not something that would work here. I've got baby making hips. Um, 95% of my weight lies in my thighs. Yeah. 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 um... I can't jorts. Yeah, you're like a you're like a strawberry being held by the stem. Uh, Oh, oh, the thank you're right. I'm sorry. The Cowboys fan. He's a Cowboys fan. They rock the jorts and the oversized jerseys. You're right. I did. I should have put that together. Yeah, man. You're right. I'm surprised he didn't have a Yankees hat on. <laughs> talking shit. Guy came on here. You're talking shit after the fact. Oh, man. All right. Wow. Anyway. Um, you'll be on next week? Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Yeah. We'll, talk, we'll, we'll talk then. Uh, well, I'll talk to you before then. Um, all right. Uh, real quick, so we'll just do some housekeeping stuff. If you you guys are recording tomorrow night, yes. Um, okay. Yeah. 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 Tomorrow night. All right. So tomorrow night, live on YouTube, the Give Me the Points podcast. Uh, how did you guys do this la- this week? I know going into the week you were doing great. And oh yeah. No, I- no, 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 no. This, listen, weeks run from Thursday to Monday. Okay? I understand, but I know. Okay. Well, let's put it this way. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Bangers. Bangers. And then Sunday, the story was not updated as much. So let me No, no, no. Here's the thing. So like I wait until after I want like I wanted to wait until after the Monday night game because we had the chance to break even 
on the Sunday, Monday slate. Um, right. So I didn't want to go out there and be emotional um, and get all fired up about some of the lot, like the like Baltimore blowing their lead was brutal. Yeah. Um, that really hurt. Um, but all in all, uh, let me pull up the exact numbers here. So all in all this week, we did go plus 11 and a half units. Okay. Um, from Thursday to Thursday to Monday, we did really well. Yeah. We went into Sunday up 14 and a half. We lost three units over Sunday and Monday, which it's, it's, it's a bet, maybe That's two okay. bets. Yeah. And yeah. so it wasn't bad. Um, we hit our big teaser, which was nice. We didn't even have to tease it. Both those teams covered the 10 point spread. Um, but yeah, yeah, we did college, man. I, Tyler and I were talking and like college is a spot where it's not, it, people might think it's random. Um, I, I don't think college is as random as professional sports hmm. college. You know, the kids that can play, you know, the kids that are just there getting a full ride to get their communications degree. Um, I think we're going to, we took advantage of college really well this weekend. And I expect us to do the same this upcoming weekend. The NFL, we'll get it figured out. I mean, we're, we're up money on the NFL. We're not up as much as we would like to be, but we up are, we are up two units on the NFL this year through two weeks. Player props have been the moneymaker right now. Um, so we'll probably, you know, we're going to stick to those. We're going to keep finding spots there. Um, but don't worry, we're going to get, we'll get the games figured out. It's been crazy, man. I mean, you've, you've, I, seen, it's been, I'm, you, I feel like you're interpreting this like I'm talking shit. No, 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 you're not. Okay. Like, we do I that think you've been spread, doing great. We do that spread challenge. Dude, it's, it's madness. I'm sorry that I won. I mean, that's oh, not man. really my thing. Yeah, Dale won this week. Yeah, that's right. Kansas Duke over 66.5 thoughts. Can't, dude, Kansas's offense has been fire. Uh, and their defense has been Swiss cheese. So I'll have to look into Duke a little bit. But as far as Kansas and the over goes, I'm intrigued. Absolutely. I have an idea. Okay. Let's flesh I'm going to flesh this out real quick. So obviously we're brothers. Um, the the Boston's, Boston Brews bets boys. I don't think they're brothers. I do believe that they're best friends, though. And then we've got something I've we're got, not. What are you talking about? You're the only friend I have in the world. I had another friend, but he stopped doing the show. So I don't have any friends anymore except for you. And then uh, on the October 4th show, I've got the Pound the Line boys coming on. And I believe they are brothers. Mm. I wonder how many brothers and bros like podcast duos exist. And then if that's the case, we should do a handicapping challenge. Absolutely. We'll flesh it out more. Yes. But I want I want to put it I'm just putting it in the ether so we can start grabbing this out and we'll do a uh uh we'll just we'll do like a bros betting challenge, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be like blood bros, but just bros, bros, bet that like we'll track it. We'll do we'll put you want to we'll put like we want to put money up or you want to yeah, do like shame yeah. bets? We'll do the like flesh real for money. Flesh. flesh for flesh. Okay. I like it. I like it. Okay. Yeah. Let me let me we'll we'll do we'll come all right. I'm excited. I got to figure this out. Otherwise, I'm going to stutter. All right. Let's wrap this thing up. We're well over. We're about an hour and a half. One, one last thing to answer yeah. Boston Brews bets. Um, as of right now, the Sharps are hitting the under. Um, so you have the professional bettors coming in and hitting the under 66 and a half in that game. We'll see how low it goes. We'll see. Yeah, obviously, with college football, you have to look at the weather. That makes a big deal for kids that are not um, the most talented in the world. So, yeah. Yeah, that's something I will look at. Love, love Kansas. They hit their win total for the season already. 
It was two and a half. <laughs> they're three now. Right. Good yeah. for them, dude. Good yeah. for them. <laughs> Good for them. All right. Uh, okay. I think that's it. I don't have any more notes to go over. That's it. Uh, appreciate everybody that tuned in tomorrow night live on YouTube, 830. What time do you guys do your show? Nine? Uh, eight thirty. We'll do eight thirty. You, you float your yeah. time, yeah. All right, yeah, we so. float our time. It's yeah. It all depends on when the kids get in bed and all that. Okay. My, so my the best way to know what the time is going to be is if to follow you on Instagram yes. at Give Me the Points. Correct. Um, G I M M E. So give, at Give Me the Points. Follow you on there. You'll get the hard time. It's going to be sometime between eight thirty and nine Correct. Eastern. Uh, you guys will go live. You'll break down. Um, week four college week. Yeah. Week. It's yeah. week week four of college as well as week three of the NFL. Right. So you'll break that down. And then next Tuesday, you're coming on. We're going to break down Mackenzie Dern versus Yan Jianan. And then, yeah. Okay. That's all we got for right now. Uh, no UFC bets for me this weekend. You'll send me your plays. I'll just post them up on my page. How about that? Sure. Um, so anyway, we'll go ahead and post this up everywhere. And then if you guys haven't already done so, please hit that like button. If you haven't subscribed, hit subscribe, then go over to give me the points, subscribe over there, uh, and like their videos. And yeah, if you enjoyed having Rob on the show at Rob Pozzola, go over to his Twitter page. I think he's more active on there and let him know you saw him here. Um, that makes a big difference. And then maybe we'll be doing something working with him in the future. So anyway, I appreciate you guys, everybody that bought merch this week. You guys are killer. Um, I've officially sold about 7,000 times more than I ever thought I would. Um, so I appreciate that tenfold. Um, and if you're not already aware, the women's science shirt is out. Have you seen it? Did you see the new logo? Yeah, I like it. You like it? That's good. That's the nicest thing you've ever said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. So. <laughs> Um, no, that's good. That was real good. I appreciate that. You really <laughs> fucking pumped me up there. That was good. That's good. It's not like something I've been working hard on, but yeah, you're right. It's good. Um, I will say this. I'd had to remove the gray colorway today because, um, somebody ordered a gray shirt, like the Heather gray, uh, with the Caucasus mountain warrior shirt and on the mock-up, the gold text really popped, but in print and sending the gold text did not pop on the heather gray the way i wanted it to so um, we had to we had to get it out of there so anyway all right appreciate everybody that tuned into the show appreciate everybody that was active in the chat um mike i'm sorry you feel the way you feel about islam and to everybody else be good to each other we'll see you later trey i'm still thinking about you if you need <laughs> anything you just call me okay it was tough tough beat this week Tell, real quick should, if trey doesn't go for as homelander for for fucking halloween i'm gonna be so upset I, what else can he be I, he can't be anything i can't be he can't be maui again no and if he goes as homelander he better walk around with a bottle of breast milk and drink it <laughs> something tells me there's a bottle of breast milk within arms reach of that guy at all times